Welcome to a coffee room chat in ENT. This is the second series of podcasts where experts in the field discuss their experience in the management of important and challenging aspects of ENT surgery. This is a collaboration between ENT UK and the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh, and it's presented and produced by me, James Tyson, an ENT surgeon from Cambridge and the Director of eLearning for ENT UK, uh, and of course with the help of the team at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. Our eighth and final episode of this series was put together with the help of the Head and Neck Society and features uh, Emma King and Jemmy uh, Joes, and they'll be discussing transoral oropharyngeal surgery. Uh, so Emma is an academic head and neck surgeon, uh, so she has a role at Southampton University um, with her clinical work uh, in Bournemouth and Poole, and Jemmy uh, works um, in Hull University teaching hospitals. And they both have a particular interest in transoral oropharyngeal surgery. But as you'll hear, they can use quite different techniques. Oh, hello, Emma. Um, how are you? Uh, I believe you just did a robotic procedure, a, a vasectomy mucosectomy or something similar. Yeah, that's right, Jemmy. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. Um, and you're absolutely right. We've just finished um, a tongue-based mucosectomy, um, trying to find a primary tumour. Um, and uh, as as you know, the, the way I normally do this now is with a robot. We have um, a Da Vinci XI robot where I work. Um, and I like it because there are a number of um, uh, of advantages over other techniques. But I recognize it's not the only technique that can be used to get really good results. Yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, there are the other ones like endoscopic technique and uh, microscope uh, approach to transoral surgery, isn't there, nowadays, uh, with uh, e- a fairly equally good results, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all one of these things is if, um, if you have experience in a technique, you uh, become competent at it and hopefully you can get, get good results with it. Yeah, uh, and I take it that this patient presented uh, uh, with a with a neck node uh, with a B sixteen positive squamous cell carcinoma, and uh, that's where it all started. I take it. Yeah, absolutely. And they were worked up through the MDT. So you're absolutely right. We did a um, a biopsy and um, showed that it was um, a poorly differentiated squamous cell carcinoma that was P sixteen positive. Um, they'd uh, previously had their uh, palatine tonsils taken out and we were still looking for the primary tumour. So the next place we looked was the lingual tonsil in order to understand whether there was um, the primary tumour there. We we had done an MRI scan, and that didn't show any obvious primary, and we'd also done a PET scan prior to the tonsillectomy, and again, the PET scan didn't show where the likely primary tumour was. So, you know, for our registrars who are there in our coffee room, I think it's very important to stress, isn't it, that uh, wherever they go and work, it is very important that every centre provides a transoral resection service of some sort in order to uh, uh, provide uh, both uh, both uh, tonsillar cancer, base of tongue cancer, as well as unknown primary cancer treatment. 
no absolutely i think that um um i think that's probably a prerequisite for a for a head and neck cancer center and and as we've said before and we've talked about before it doesn't matter how, what the technique is it doesn't matter if you have a robot or not uh, you just need to be competent and um, and confident at the technique that you employ in, in your center and and i think for me part of that is because these a lot of these hpv positive patients are very young so to be able to offer them an alternative from um the chemo radiotherapy and the potential detrimental effects of the long-term consequences of that treatment is really important you know and clearly the patient might not want the surgery option but at least i think at the very least they should be offered that and and if you don't offer the service of basal mucosectomy you would probably miss a good 10 to 20% of uh, those primary, otherwise they get a total mucosal radiation? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you if you have a good working relationship with your oncologist and they're comfortable and happy that you do a good mucosectomy um, and if you find the occasional primary tumour, then then everyone's a bit more relaxed about not irradiating the, the, um, the oropharynx, which I think... Um, on balance gives better long-term results for these patients. And, and uh, there's added benefit these days, isn't it, that uh, 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 these patients are able to take part in a, a number of trials, number of de-escalation strategies, uh, if we are able to provide that transoral resection service. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, locally where I am, they're um, offered a place in the Moses trial and or also offered a place in um, Pathos. We, we we recruit a lot of patients to Pathos. And you're absolutely right. That's offering the patients a de-escalation, but in a very controlled um, clinical trial setting. So it's as safe as it can be. Um, so uh, even going back to our, you know, your technique of robot and uh, the way I do it using an endoscope, I think it was a, a, a transoral microscopic surgery that set it all off, uh, uh, isn't it? That's that, that's how it absolutely. started. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think everyone cut their teeth doing that that technique, and yeah. uh, and actually, you know, you know, I'm, I'm still very happy to do that technique. Um, I still think it's a very good technique. Um, it's um i think it's probably a lot harder work than using the robot um and yes but i think i think it just takes more time and and it's quite interesting because when you when i first started using the robot um i was frustrated about the setup time and how long i perceived that took and i in the back of my mind i thought i well i could finish the case if i was using the uh, using the microscope but in fact as you become better um, at a technique and the theatre staff are all fabulous at setting things up now the, the setup time for the robot doesn't seem to be too long anymore so the the, the advantages for me outweigh the the the, the um the, the the downsides of it uh, i mean the microscope has got some advantages and for example it does give a a, a significantly magnified view um and uh uh, you get uh, the the depth and the you know and, and the three dimensional uh, you know perception quite well you know compared to endoscope or um, uh, robot you know Absolutely. especially the magnified view I think people still rave about that quite a bit. No, no, I totally agree. And also, the big advantage for me over the robot is the tactile feedback, the fact that you can actually feel what's going on at the end of your instruments. Um, despite the fact that when you're using the robot, you often think you can feel what's going on, but clearly you can't. It's just your your, your mind telling you you think you can. 
Um, uh, but of course, there are the obvious uh, disadvantages that you have to always work in a straight line and think and uh, all the structures seem to, so, seem to almost sort of get in your way, doesn't it? You know, when, as, as, you, as you keep going deeper and deeper into tissues. Yeah, no, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And also the time spent adjusting and readjusting, that's much longer um, using the microscope and the CO2 laser compared to the robot on the whole. I mean, there are times when you have to pause and um, modify where the arms are, but it seems to be um, a, a, a easier to do that with the robot and quicker to get going again than it is with the um, um, with the microscope in my hands. And um, particularly in the base of tongue, um, I think even in experts' hands, uh, expert hands with a microscope, uh, you can sometimes get a bit disoriented and you know and get a bit lost, isn't it? Um, if, yeah, absolutely. If yeah, I, I, I to- totally agree. I think um, I think to me that's one of the advantages of the robot. However, um, I had less experience of doing the, the sort of tongue-based resections with the microscope and and uh, and CO two laser, and I think I just I felt more I feel more comfortable doing it with the robot than I ever did with with the microscope. Yeah, especially the the deeper tumors uh, that go into the base of tongue. And uh, once you once you make that initial few cuts, until then everything looks okay, it's magnified, uh, and then you you sort of don't know which way is up. You know, yes. Which, which way do you head from here? You know, are you going to the highway? I think that that is a uh, is is a problem. Uh, but but the uh, the lateral oropharyngeal resections. It's pretty still good, I think. You know, once you get into the to, to, to the space going through the constrictors, it is still quite good in in resections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but tell tell me more about your endoscopic resection because that's something I have very limited experience in. I'd love to hear more about it. Oh well, I mean, it uh, it started um, with the uh, almost uh, adopting the concept from uh, um, endoscopic anti-discalpate surgery where. You are going through you know, two tiny nostrils, if you like. Uh, so we have two surgeons operating, uh, one holding the scope and another instrument, and the other person having both both arms free, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it is it is almost an adaptation of that technique, but but into the oral cavity. You know, oral cavity has a much bigger space than nasal cavity naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, the uh, endoscopic techniques, uh, you know, it was 2D endoscopes that were uh, that were available. And um, uh, as ENT surgeons, especially, you know, we are all trained uh, right from our, from when we were juniors in uh, uh, endoscopic techniques in the nostrils. So, you know, it is very easy to adapt that, you know, being how to hold the scope, how to work off the monitor, etc., um, so, uh, there are, there are two ways of doing it is you can, you can use, you can do it with, uh, as a two surgeon using a standard, uh, four millimeter, uh, 2D endoscope as, uh, the same one from, from, from what you, what you take out of your, uh, first ray, um, and using the same instrument from the first ray. Um, uh, the, 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 the two instruments you need is a, is essentially an adapted, straight Blakesley forceps and an upturned Blakesley forceps. The ones in the standard first ray are the nine centimeter long instruments. 
but uh, even on the catalog, uh, the 11 centimeters or two centimeter longer instruments are available. So particularly uh, if you're going further down on the base of tongue, those two in- instruments become more handy to, to grab hold of things. Yeah. Otherwise, um, just like uh, a, a, a robot, if you like, you're using a cutting monopolar diathermy, you, you have this uh, sheath long um, uh, cutting diathermy needles, uh, which is available in usually plastic surgery people use uh, use it, breast yeah. surgery people use it. So that's the one which you primarily use it. So as you can imagine, uh, you use uh, can use uh, any uh, oral retractor, FK retractor, but I must admit, uh, I, I just use the Boyle Davis mouth guide most of the time, which is more than adequate for that. Yeah. And um, uh, so... Uh, the uh, one person holds a scope and a suction retraction apparatus and the surgeon uh, has a cutting diathermy and the, and the force to, to hold the specimen. Yeah. Uh, the other way of doing it is um, some, some of our colleagues do it is, is using a, a 10 millimeter uh, endoscope, just similar to the one which is uh, which a robot uses. Yeah. Um, uh, so the same size, but then uh, you can't expect someone to hold that heavy instrument for a long period. So you mm-hmm. need a so some something a holder of some sort that will hold it, and of course, uh, the, it, it will be useful if that holder um, uh, can be controlled, uh, whether it's a foot pedal or you know or any other method to you know control it so that it can go in and out or turn laterally, etc. So uh, that's other way of doing it. So that way you don't need a um, uh, an assistant; you can do it uh, all by yourself. Um, and and the rest of the uh, uh, diathermy uh, uh, using as a cutting cutting instrument is exactly the same as uh, you do for a robot. But then things have evolved um, a bit more now. As you're aware, uh, we now have 3D 10 millimeter scope and uh, 3D 4 millimeter scopes available, mm-hmm. uh, which has changed uh, things significantly. Um, uh, in that, although uh, as a, uh, ENT trainees, our brains almost convert a 2D image in the nose to a 3D image in our head. Uh, when you actually see that in 3D, it, it does make a difference. Uh, and so with that, um, a 3D uh, in, the, in the middle with two, uh, two, hand, two hands, that is one hand on either side, you are almost getting a similar picture as what you would get of a robot, robotic console, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, but of course, um, you know, um, it is a, uh, you get the tactile feedback. That's the advantage. Uh, but you don't get the, you know, the 360 degree rotation for which you have to rotate your own arms, I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, and also, you, you know, your arm, the other arm can get tired after a while holding this, uh, you know, bit of tissue yeah. for, for this long period. Um, yeah. So, you know, so there is that uh, disadvantage of that. Yeah. So if, if you were advising colleagues then in a department that didn't have a trans or reserve set up, would you advise them to set up the um, um, the endoscopic system that you use frequently? Or would you advise them to start with the microscope and CO2 laser? What what do you think would be easiest to get up and going with? Well, uh, I, I, obviously, it, it depends upon the expertise, um, you know, that's available in a, in a centre. Uh, I uh, do you if uh, if there is a um, transoral laser surgery 
uh, using a microscope is, is a standard procedure now. You know, I, most cataract surgeons are well versed with this. So it is, um, uh, it, so it, it is just a, an adaptation from that to the oropharynx. But I personally feel that um, starting with an endoscope, which is, as already mentioned, all the instruments I mentioned are already there in any uh, ENT center, you know, FS ray and uh, endoscope is already there. So you can actually pick up from, from, from uh, pick up things which you already have and start off naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, while waiting for, say, approval for your robotic setup, you know, in the center, depending upon how big your center is, how much capacity is available, whether you can, all the, you know, all the bureau, you know, bureaucratic hurdles you have to go through, you know, the proctoring, the training, all that. So, uh, so, um, uh, so I would say um, um, it's always good to start with one, but uh, in my opinion, again, it is definitely better to have more than one option in every center, um, uh, as we do in our own center, uh, which, uh, as you know, is has got both robotic and endoscopic techniques. So, therefore, it does mean that, say, a patient comes in, has got a, you know, uh, is on the two-week wait pathway, uh, and say our scheduled robotic time is not, you know, next week, we can always do it with an endoscope. Um, um, uh, so, uh, uh, so, so that is why I feel that it, it is good to have a choice um, uh, in, in this matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, I think if, if you're what, in, what do you think? yeah, I think if you're in a centre where you haven't got open access to the robot, having another sort of um, um, option up your sleeve is a good is a good thing to 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 not um, minimise any any risk in the patient pathway. Really good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so uh, are you are you planning? Uh, you know, you must have done. Uh, when is your next uh, robotic tonsil resection? So have we, you anything planned? Yeah, we have we have one booked in um, in two days' time, and it's just a it's a nice T two palatine tonsil, um, and he's got a um, one node in the neck, level two, with no extranodal extension. So he's been. Um, uh, consented and put on to the pathos trial, and um, and then we'll wait and see what the pathology shows regarding what additional treatment he needs. So, do you do your um, uh, neck dissection at the same time as a robot, uh, as a as a transoral dissection? Yes, I do. So, I uh, we're lucky at the moment we haven't got any pressure on the robot, so I do the robot first, um, and then. Um, and I also, interestingly, at the end of the resection, I uh, put the specimen on a cork board and take it down to the pathologist who is in the floor below so I can show them um, what the specimen looks like and ex which margins I'm worried about. Um, and while I do that, I leave the um, uh, the uh, fabulous fellows uh, doing the NG tube and putting the bridle on, which is the worst part of the operation. And then and then we then I go straight on and we do the uh, or they do the next section. Um, and um, do do uh, uh, do do you tie off the uh, any vessels in the yes. neck? Are you doing that, I do, and I'm always worried about forgetting that. So on the uh, on the board where the uh, the swab counts are, I always write up remind remind Emma to uh, to tie off the vessels, and uh, uh, and so they're really good when when I'm we're talking about closing. There's someone always shouts out, "Have you definitely tied off the vessels?" And I, I tie I I. Um, 
I always tie off one vessel, sometimes two, sometimes three, depending on what I can find. You know, I don't go mad, but I, I, I always try and find one or two, ideally. Uh, the, I, 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 do you tie them for both? Uh, do you tie any vessels for the base of tongue resections, uh, mucosectomies? Not for mucosectomies, no. Only if you do a deeper resection, then yes. you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for all the uh, lateral oropharyngeal resections, you do them as well. Yes. Is it, does that fit in with your practice as well? Yeah, it does. It does actually. I was going to say that. So you know, I'm 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 glad you know we we are on the same similar wavelength uh, on that. And I think most centers are uh, on that front nowadays. I believe. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, excellent. Well, nice uh, speaking to you, Emma. Uh, you know, I I'm sure you're busy too with the next case. Uh, you know, it's it's always a pleasure. Yeah, nice to see you, Jamie. Good luck with your case as well. Bye. Thank you very much to both Emma and Jamie. That was a really interesting discussion on the different techniques that we could use for transoral or pharyngeal surgery um, and how to go about doing it and setting it up in your practice. So that brings us in to the end of this series of podcasts uh, with ENT UK uh, in collaboration with the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. I hope that you've enjoyed them and that they've been helpful for your learning. And we look forward to bringing you another series, uh, hopefully in the coming year.